Bibles to chapter 28 this morning, Matthew 28. Matthew 28, and let's just pick it up from where we left off this morning when Pastor was preaching. You preached the first eight verses. Let's just pick up the reading from verse 9. It says, And uh, as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, All hail. And they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. Then said Jesus, I am being afraid. Go to my brethren that they, sorry, that they go into Galilee, and there they shall see me. Now when they were going, behold, some of the watch came into the city and showed unto the chief priests all the things that were done. When they were assembled with the elders and had taken counsel, they gave large money unto the soldiers, saying, Say ye, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we slept. And if this come to the governor's ears, we will persuade him and secure you. So they took the money and did as they were taught. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews unto this day. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me, in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things, whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Let's open with a word of prayer. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day. We thank you, Lord, for Resurrection Sunday. I think we can come and remember the, the resurrection of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. And Lord, we pray as we come around your word once again now that, Lord, you would speak to our hearts. You challenge us this morning through uh, your word as we consider, Lord, the great commission you've given unto us. I pray, Lord, you'd empower me through uh, the Holy Spirit now that you give me wisdom and guidance as I speak. So anything I say this morning would be your words. It be your thoughts, Lord, and you be honoured and glorified, we pray. We pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. On Friday, of course, we came together for Good Friday and we saw the death of our Lord there on the cross. And we looked at that triumphant statement, it is finished. You know, when Christ died, it was finished, it was accomplished. The, resurre- the redemption price had been paid. Payment was made in full for you and I to be redeemed from our sin. It is finished. And then this morning, Pastor again preached and he looked at the first part of this chapter, focusing on that wonderful, glorious truth, he is not here, for he is risen. Indeed, the resurrection is of utmost importance when it comes to our faith. Without the resurrection, then our faith is in vain. We have nothing to be here celebrating about if Christ is still dead, if Christ is still in the grave. But praise the Lord that he, you know, he didn't stay dead. Christ did rise again that third day, that first Easter Sunday morning. You know, we're gathered here today to remember that, to remember his resurrection. It's Resurrection Sunday. You know, as I thought about what to preach this week, and I consider that the pastor was preaching it is finished and preaching about he is risen, and I thought that we'd turn our attention to the last part of chapter 28 here. And to what the disciples here are told to do with this glorious message. It is finished and he is risen. You see, this is what's next, isn't it? This is what's next for the disciples and what's next for you and I. With this glorious truth, what are we to do with this glorious message? And Matthew ends telling us this very thing. You know, these verses here at the end of Matthew 28, 
are often referred to as the Commission. You know, they're verses that I'm sure we know well, or at least we know of. And this event here takes place in a mountain in Galilee. And it's in direct fulfillment of Christ's own words. Christ had told them that he would meet with them in Galilee. Just go back to Matthew 26, first of all. Matthew 26, verse 32. Matthew 26, and verse 32, it says, But after I am risen again, I will go before you into Galilee. So this is before he'd even died. Christ told them that after he'd risen, he would meet them in Galilee. And then in chapter 28, verse 7, we saw this morning. It says, And go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he goeth before you into Galilee, that you shall see him. Lo, I have told you. Verse 10, Then said Jesus, And be not afraid, go tell my brethren that they go into Galilee, and there they shall see me. So Christ had told them this. Christ had told them he would meet with them in Galilee. And this is now the fulfillment of those the disciples now gathered together in his mountain in Galilee and they meet with the Lord. Look in verse 16. It says, Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And so they're in this place at Christ's instructions. Christ had told them that he would meet them there in Galilee. Now, we need to be clear here, this is not the first time the disciples have seen the resurrected Lord. Okay, we know from the Gospel of John that Christ meets his disciples in the upper room. Okay, and that takes place most likely Easter Sunday evening. Okay, and so he's already met with his disciples in the upper room. He's already met with them before this. This is not the first time they see him after the resurrection. You know, while this is not their first meeting, it is a very important meeting. There's a reason why Christ meets with the disciples here in Galilee. You see, it's at this meeting that they receive this great commission. That they are commissioned by the Lord to go forth. And it's these words from verse uh, 18 through to 20 that I want us to focus on this morning. The words of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we look at these words, I want us to see that there are three parts to this message. Three parts to this message. The first thing we see is the great claim. The great claim. Look in verse 18. It says, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. You see in verse 18 that the Lord begins here by claiming that all power is given unto him in heaven and in earth. You know, by this statement here, Christ is making the claim that all power belongs to him. It's pretty simple, pretty straightforward, isn't it? Making the claim all power, all authority to that power, to exercise that power, belongs to him. Now the word power here in the Greek can also be translated authority or jurisdiction. And so he's saying he has all authority, all jurisdiction in heaven and in earth. You notice that Christ also says here, he says, all power is given unto him. All power is given unto him. You know, this statement is given unto him immediately makes this phrase a little harder to understand. Makes this phrase here a little bit more confusing. You see, when we read this in the English, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth, you know, and I immediately you know, upon reading the English, assume that it's saying that he didn't have this power beforehand. I mean, that's what the English says, isn't it? It's 
what it leads us to believe. Okay, all power is now given unto him. And so it implies that he didn't have this power beforehand. Now, we know for a fact that this simply is not true. Christ has always been all-powerful. Christ has always had all authority because he is God. You know, during his earthly ministry here on earth, Christ exercised his omnipotent power, his authority over all things. As we read through the Gospels, we see his authority over all kinds of illnesses, don't we? As he heals the sick and the lame. We see his authority and power over hunger as he feeds the 5,000 and the 3,000 uh, 3, as well. We see his, his power and authority as he casts out demons. We see his power and authority over nature as he calms the wind and the, the waves and the sea. We see his power and authority over death as he raises people back to life. And so indeed it's clear from the Gospels that Christ possessed all power, all authority before his resurrection. He's always possessed all power, always possessed all authority because he's God. And so as I was studying this week, the question came to mind, what then is this statement talking about? What is Christ saying here then? Why does Christ say all power is given unto me? Why doesn't he just say all power in heaven and earth belongs to me? Why does he say all power is given unto me? Well, the reason is that this is in direct reference to what he has just accomplished on the cross. This claim, this statement is in direct reference to what Christ has just done on the cross. It is finished. And how he is risen again. He is risen. He is not here, but he is risen. It is in direct reference to that glorious fact. You see, it's referring to his authority over the souls of men. Christ's authority to save, his power to save. It's referring to his authority as our mediator between God and man. Go to Philippians chapter 2 with me. Philippians chapter 2. Philippians 2, and let's just read from verse 6. It says, Who being in the form of God, thought it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Verse 6 to 8 here speaks about the fact that Christ humbled himself in leaving heaven's glory. Christ, the eternal Son of God, humbled himself. He limited himself to the likeness of men, to flesh. And it says that he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. You know, Christ willingly went to the cross, as we saw on Friday. He willingly laid down his life for you and I to purchase our redemption. And it's because of this, because of this glorious fact that it then goes on in verses 9 to 11 to say that God hath highly exalted him. Look in verse 9, it says, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You know, verses 9 and 10 tells us that Christ is now highly exalted because of what he's done on the cross. God has highly exalted him above every name. You see, Christ humbled himself in coming to earth to die for you and I. 
He died, he was buried and rose again, and now he, has, he is exalted to his rightful place as king, as Lord. He's exalted to the right hand of the Father, where he now acts as our mediator, as the mediator between God and man. You know, he, by his redemptive work on the cross, has all authority in heaven and in earth. Christ has defeated Satan at the cross. He crushed Satan's head at the cross. He set the captives free. You know, the Old Testament saints, they looked forward to Christ on the cross. They looked forward to his redemptive work. You and I look back to his redemptive work. We look back to the cross. For both of us are saved how? By Christ's work on the cross. It's his authority. It's his power that saves us. It's because of what he accomplished that he has all authority over the souls of men. He has the power to save all who believe. Turn to Ephesians chapter 1 because you have another passage that expresses this glorious truth. Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 20. Says, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but in that which is to come. And hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head of all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. We have another passage that expresses this same glorious truth. And in verse 22 in particular, it says, He hath put all things under his feet. Christ is exalted above all. He has dominion over all. And it ends verse 22 by saying that he is the head of all things to the church. You see, indeed, because of his death, his burial and resurrection, Christ has all power, all authority to redeem, to defend and to save the church which he has purchased with his own precious blood. You see, this is the authority that Christ is claiming here. When Christ says all power, all authority is given unto him, he is speaking about this authority that he has to save all who believe. And it's with this authority that Christ now commissions his disciples to go forth. The second point this morning, we see now the great commission. We've seen the great claim And now we see the great commission. Look in verse 19. It says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. You know, it's here in verses 19 and 20 that we find these words so often referred to as the great commission. Now, Christ has just told his disciples that as mediator, he has all authority over the souls of men. He has all authority in heaven and earth. And now he begins verse 19. He says, go ye therefore. On the basis of what he's just said, go ye therefore. You see, effectively what Christ is saying is because I have all power, because I have all authority, go forth. You see, the disciples were to go forth with his authority. They were to go forth with his power. They were to go forth knowing that he was the source of the power. He was the source of their message that they had. They were to go forth knowing that the world was under his control, that he is on the throne. 
and they were to go forth knowing that he has the power to save. Beloved, this is where the power, this is where the authority in their preaching came from. It came from Christ's authority because of what he accomplished on the cross and because of his resurrection. That's where the authority came from. It's from Christ. You know, we've said it before, but if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is in vain. Our preaching has no authority. Our preaching has no power. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 14, it says, And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain. Beloved, if Christ is not risen, then we have no authority, we have no power in our message. Our preaching is in vain, and our faith is also in vain. It's powerless without Christ's authority. So the power in our preaching comes from the wonderful, blessed knowledge that Christ has done it all on the cross and that Christ is risen. He is alive. He has conquered the grave. You know, this is the power, this is the authority that the disciples were now to go forth with. And it's the same for us today. You know, as Christians, those of us who are here today are saved. Christ has given us this commission to go forth with his power, his authority. We go forth and declare the truth because of his authority, because of what he has accomplished. You know, Romans chapter 1 and verse 16, it says that the gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation. The gospel has power to save because of Christ's authority, because of what he accomplished on the cross, because of his resurrection. In verse 19, Christ then goes on to tell them what they are to go forth and do. It says in verse 19, Go ye therefore and teach all nations. We read that they're told to teach all nations. You know, the interesting thing here as I studied this week is that the word teach here is not the normal word that is translated teach elsewhere in our English version. It's a different Greek word. This Greek word actually means to disciple or to make disciples. So when you read it like that, it, it says, Go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations. That's what Christ is telling the disciples here to do. The disciples are instructed to go forth and to make disciples. It's interesting, isn't it? The focus here is not on going forth in converts. The focus is on making disciples. And there is a difference. You know, the disciples were certainly to go forth with the glorious gospel message. They were certainly to preach the message of salvation by grace through faith so that people might get saved. But beloved, it didn't end there. That's not all the Great Commission. That's not all they were commissioned to do. They were commissioned to do much more than just preach the gospel. You see, they were commissioned to disciple them. You know, discipleship implies much more. Discipleship speaks of teaching, teaching, instructing them in the faith so that they might then grow and practice it in their own lives. See, the disciples' ministry was to be one of making disciples. That's what they were commissioned to do. You know, Christ goes on here in these verses to tell us exactly what was involved in this. Verse 19, again, it says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. 
See, Christ tells them now exactly what's involved in making disciples. See, discipleship involved baptism and teaching. These two things that are mentioned in these verses. You see, these are the things that ought to follow someone's conversion. When someone gets saved, they then need to be taught and baptized. These ought to follow someone's salvation. And beloved, just because baptism is mentioned first here doesn't mean that it comes before teaching. Rather, they go together. Teaching and baptism go together here. Beloved, the disciples were to go forth. They were to preach the message of salvation. Then when people got saved, they were to disciple them. They were to show them that the first step in obedience is baptism. And then they were to teach them the doctrines. They were to instruct them in God's word. You know, the whole purpose of this was so that these converts who were disciples could then teach others also. Go over to 2 Timothy chapter 2. Second Timothy 2 and verse 1. It says, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And of the things that thou hast heard of me, among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men, who shall be able to teach others also. Love, this was the purpose of the disciples' ministry. They went forth, they preached the gospel, people got saved, they discipled those people. So that those people could then go forth and teach others. So that others might get saved, be disciple, and go forth and teach others. It's a thing that propagates itself. That's the whole point. Beloved, they weren't commissioned just to win converts and then move on. They were commissioned by Christ to make disciples. And beloved, we have been given the exact same commission. We've been commissioned by Christ to make disciples. We've been left here on this earth to be a witness to the lost to this dying world, to tell them of Christ, to tell them of his death, his burial, and his resurrection. But telling them that they're lost, telling them they need to get saved is not enough. Once they get saved, we then need to disciple them. We then need to disciple them. You see, Christ's desire is that when someone gets saved, we show them the importance of baptism in obedience to him, that we teach them, instruct them in the truths of God's word so they might grow and be strengthened. Beloved, this is the purpose of the church. You go to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11. Ephesians 4 and verse 11, it says, And he gave some apostles and some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Now Ephesians 4 here tells us the same thing. It tells us the purpose of the church is the perfecting of the saints. This is the role of this church, is to perfect the saints. Why? So that those saints might go forth and do the work of the ministry might tell others also. But we must never lose focus of this truth. Now, winning the lost to Christ is only part of the great king. Once they get saved, we must then disciple them. And beloved, this is why our youth ministries, this is why our Sunday school is not simply about evangelism. This is why it's about so much more. Because we're seeking to disciple these young people. 
and teach them. So they might be strengthened in the faith and so they might then teach others also. Beloved, this is why we stick with the Iwana program on a Friday night. You know why? Because it disciples the young people. It's what the whole focus of Iwana is. It's all about discipling them, teaching them, so they might then teach others also. This is why at Proteins we challenge our young people to learn verses, to do their devotions, to work hard. Why? Because we're seeking to disciple them. We're doing much more than just getting them saved. We're trying to do much more. We're trying to disciple these young people. And the same is true in church. That's why we don't just preach the gospel to the exclusion of all else. Because then how do those who are saved get fed and grow? There's much more to our ministry. So much more. Beloved, if all we did was preach the gospel to the exclusion of all else, we would be failing greatly in our Great Commission. We would be failing. Because the Great Commission is not to make converts. The Great Commission is to make disciples. Now, I studied that this week. I thought that was just a, a glorious truth that we so often overlook, don't we? We so often overlook when we talk about the Great Commission, we talk about how we're to preach the gospel, and that's true. But when they get saved, we are to disciple them, and that is our purpose. That's our role as a church. Yes, we are to preach the gospel. Yes, we are to be faithfully witnessing so that people might get saved, but then we need to teach them, disciple them in the faith. And beloved, thirdly and lastly, now we see the great comfort. We've seen the great claim, the great commission, and now we see the great comfort. Look in verse 20, and it says, Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. You know, Christ having told his disciples of his authority and commissioning them to go forth with that authority and make disciples. Christ now ends with some glorious words of comfort. He says, Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Christ tells his disciples here that as they go forth to fulfill this great commission, they're not going to be alone. Christ says here he will be with them every step of the way. Now, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, we looked at this verse a couple of Sundays ago. But Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it says, But ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Now, Christ said that they should receive power when the Holy Ghost came upon them. Power to fulfill this great commission. The Holy Spirit would indwell them. The Holy Spirit would empower them. See, Christ didn't expect them to do it alone. Christ didn't expect them to go and make disciples in their own power. Rather, he would be with them every step of the way. He would empower them. You know, Christ knew the opposition the disciples would face. Christ knew that they were going to face persecution. Christ knew that a lot of them were going to die for the faith. They were going to be martyred. You know, Christ, as he tells them to go forth, he gives them this assurance that no matter what happens, he will be with them always. Hebrews 13 verse 5 comes to mind where it says, For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. It's the same glorious promise, isn't it? Christ says that he'll be with us every step of the way. Love for the disciples, it didn't matter how tough it became, Christ was right there with them through it all. You know, the Apostle Paul, he came to understand the truth of Christ's words as he went around establishing churches. 
and in particular when he came to the city of Corinth. Just turn to Acts chapter 18 as we close this morning. Acts chapter 18. Let's just read from verse 1. It says, After these things Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth, and he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, lately come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because that Claudius had commanded all Jews to depart from Rome and came under them. And because he was of the same craft, he abode with them and wrought, for by their occupation they were tent makers. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and, per- and persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. And when Silas and Timotheus were come from Macedonia, Paul was pressed in the spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus was Christ. And when they opposed, them, uh, when they opposed themselves and blasphemed, he shook his raiment and said unto them, um, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From henceforth I will go unto the Gentiles. And out of thence and entered into a certain man's house named Justice, one that worshipped God, whose house joined hard to the synagogue. And Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his house. And many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. Then spake the Lord to Paul in the night by a vision, Be not afraid, but speak and hold not thy peace, for I am with thee. And no man shall set hurt on thee, uh, so set on thee to hurt thee, for I have much people in this city. And he continued there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. Now in Acts chapter 18 here we have this account of Paul coming to Corinth and he's seeking to obey the Great Commission. Paul has come seeking to do much more than just make converts. Paul has come to fulfill the Great Commission, to teach them, to baptize them once they're saved. And in verse 8 it tells us that he's doing that. It says, And Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord with all his house, and many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. The first part of making a disciple, he's baptizing these ones who got saved. Verse 11, it says, and he continued there a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. He spent time making disciples, teaching them, instructing them in the faith. But you know, between those two verses, you have verse 9 and 10. And Paul is experiencing persecution. And what does it say in verse 9? Then spake the Lord to Paul in the night by vision, be not afraid, but speak, hold not thy peace, for I am with thee. Paul experienced the fulfillment of those words of Christ at the Great Commission firsthand. Christ says to him, I am with you. Why was Christ with him? Because Paul was fulfilling the commission. And so Christ was right there alongside him. Christ was there helping him, aiding him, strengthening him. You know, beloved, just like the disciples, just like the Apostle Paul, when you and I go forth to fulfill the Great Commission, we have the knowledge that Christ is with us. His Holy Spirit is dwelling within, empowering us, and He has promised to never leave us nor forsake us. And as we go forth in His power and seek to make disciples, we have the comfort of these words, Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. And beloved, you know, it's because of Christ's death. It's because of His burial and resurrection that He has all authority in heaven and in earth. It's with this authority that he has commissioned us to go forth and make disciples, baptize them, teach them. And as we go forth, love, we have the great comfort that he will be with us every step of the way. Let's close in a word of prayer. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for this weekend. Lord, we've seen 
on the cross, it is finished. We've seen he is risen. And Lord, now we've seen this great commission. Lord, it is given unto us. This is what we are to do until you come, until you send your son to come back for us. Lord, I pray you would help us, Lord, to fulfill this great commission as a church. That, Lord, we do much more than make converts. That, Lord, we be faithful in making disciples. Lord, so that, you know, they might then teach others also. Lord, may you bless as we close. May we remember these great truths in Jesus' name.